Zach, we just finished having an incredible conversation with one of my good friends, Martha Garza, who is a branding strategist, designer, and so much more. I learned a lot about mm-hmm. about her that I didn't know, and I've been good friends with her for a while now. <laughs> what did you think of the episode? Kind of like the takeaways of, of her brand strategy approach and her, her jobs working for Cartier, Dr. Smooth, uh, Moleskin, like just the different brand experiences that she's been a part of and, and building. Oh, I think it was great. I mean, I've, I've heard her name many times from you, so I was glad to finally meet her. But um, no, it was a very interesting conversation. You know, there, there are some things that just, I mean, because of my background in UX, you know, it's like the, the approach is a little bit different, but it, it totally makes sense. Um, so I, I like that we got to touch on that a little bit. And then, you know, working on uh, talking about like how, you know, you're, you're not really controlling things. You, you're, you're discovering things. And I thought that was a very interesting perspective uh when i keep the branding so i mean i i really enjoyed the conversation um i'm looking forward to it yeah i i really find it interesting that all of our episodes so far kind of comes back to one thing and that's what is your why and the Mm -hmm. fact that she's talking about like as the brand you don't make your brand your customers create the brand like the perception that you have so uh, your brand is very much what people think of you in a way right like your reputation absolutely very interesting conversation we hope you enjoy it as well Uh, She will probably be a regular guest on this show from time to time. And here's our conversation with Martha Garza. Welcome back to the Soapbox Business Show. I am your host, Mario Busto, alongside Zachary Newton. Welcome, everyone. Zach, how are you doing on this fine Thursday morning, sir? I'm doing great. I've woken up early two days in a row, so I'm happy. Feeling good? (laughs) Yeah. I feel like most of the time I'm not up early enough. So this was like a nice um, change of pace. Absolutely. I've made mention a couple of times on the show so far that I'm a part of a group called the Future Pro Group, which is led by one of the greatest creative teachers in the world, Chris Doe. But I've also said this to you off air, Zach, that the best thing that's come from that group is meeting our guest who we have on today, mm-hmm. my friend, Martha Gar- Martha Garza. Martha, welcome to the show. Uh, Martha's like a an extreme branding strategist expert, and I brought her on really to kind of share her story with the world, her background, how she got into what she does. And without like giving away too much, because I already know all about you. Can you introduce yourself and kind of let us know what you do, who you are, that sort of thing? Absolutely. First, thanks for having me. And I agree with you. Uh, I think the the best thing that came out of being in the program was meeting you and adopting you and never letting you go. So that friendship has been so cool for me. And it's been so yeah supportive and grow centric um i've been in business for a little over two years but i have a background in marketing for 10 years i am mexican i grew up in mexico my whole family lives there i moved by the, to the states by myself seven years ago and i thought i was just coming for a little bit uh, to get some experience and then go back and then i met my now fiance and stayed here and now we plan to be here in brooklyn at least for the foreseeable future I am a brand strategist. My background is interesting because I am mixing like three very different worlds. I come from design, but not only graphic design, I'm a product design. Uh, Like I graduated from that. I have a five-year product design degree under my belt. I went actually to jewelry design. That was the reason I went into product design. I came to New York to FIT. I'm a graduate jewelry designer. And then finally I have a master's in marketing for luxury goods, which I honestly, arrived to because I wanted to sell my jewelry. What ended up happening is I fell in love with marketing because for me, the interesting about jewelry is the storytelling. 
now I find that in branding and back then in marketing, it was kind of a funny path that led me here. So now I work with founders that are mostly 10 years plus in business and help them showcase their brilliance to branding through their messaging, through their naming, and also through their visuals. Um, yeah, Love it. That's pretty much it. it. I wanted to add like a little caveat there. In Brooklyn for seven years until she finally moves to Miami, where she belongs. <laughs> and then we we still we still you and, and Rodney to come down here. I didn't know uh, when you when you left Mexico that it was that you didn't know that it was going to be final because I know you. I think you've lived in Europe for a bit. Like you've been around the world quite a bit. Um, what was that like? Your your Mexican heritage is so huge to you. I mean, it's just like I feel like every conversation we have, you're bringing up like your love of home in some ways. So I wanted to ask, like, you know, growing up in Mexico, you, tell us a little bit about your childhood. What was it like growing up over there and like kind of comparing that to, to here? Yeah, I love, I love Mexico so much. And like, it feels weird saying that because I've been away from it for now, I think 12, 13 years, but it's so part of who I am. I love that we're very close knit. My family's super close. When the first time uh, my fiance Rodney invited me to a family reunion, he's like, you might get overwhelmed. There's a lot of people. <laughs> like 30 something people I'm like that's like a Friday at home like you know <laughs> all the cousins come it's normal to us so I love growing up that close I feel like we care so much for each other I'm in constant communication with my siblings and my, my parents and that is normal for me um I grew up in a big city five million people so moving to New York wasn't as daunting because for me I'm like oh it's like home like another city um however there was always something in me that wanted to go out and explore like I, I have one of my best friends. She's like, you're so brave. I'm like, no, like for me, staying is the hard part. Like leaving is easy. Mm. Exploring is easy. So I got to go to Europe when I was 16 to study uh, their history of arts. I got to go to Barcelona and like study packaging. And also I'm very thankful because my parents were very supportive and they're like, you want to go study? Go for it. So when there was not money to go to Europe, what I would do is like pick a city in Mexico and go for the summer where I wouldn't know a soul. And just mm -hmm. like to discover and like go and study something there. So I always was very inquisitive and I love traveling. I love other cultures. I learned French when I was in high school and Italian when I was in college. And I always wanted to like, yeah, like see what was out there. My grandma calls me her soapy fish because she says that you can never a, catch a fish. But imagine if there was soap in it, it's even harder to catch. So she says slippery. nobody can catch you, the slippery fish. Yeah. So um, that's kind of something that's been for me but yeah i love mexico so last year i think i went seven times so i will go often to see my family to see the water to like be in my culture but and i appreciated growing there i feel like it was a beautiful environment to grow in um i love my life here though i feel like i've created a home that i now create to come back to so it feels like i had the, the best of both worlds it's amazing uh you're from monterrey mexico right Yes. What, what part? What part of the country is that from? Like, you, they have some of the best tortilla, like actual tortillas you'll have ever have. Martha like brought me a whole bunch on oh, her yeah. last trip there, and <laughs> um, yeah. So Monterrey is in the what? Like is it? Northern? We're in the north. We're in the northeast. We're like two hours from Texas. Actually, I was born in Texas. That's why I'm here so easily. Because ah. I'm. I didn't I, know I, that. Yeah. So a lot of my friends tease me with that. They're like, "You're American." I'm like, "I'm not." <laughs> The thing is, like, I was born in Texas and taken as a baby to Mexico. So all my siblings were born in Mexico. I'm the only one. Um, so, yeah, we're two hours from Texas. Actually grew up 
always going to like we would go to texas every month all our shopping was done in the u.s like i've never shopped in mexico because for the north people that's what you do like you go and shop to texas because the u.s is cheaper so why wouldn't you and they have amazing mm -hmm. brands so mm -hmm. like that's my growing up like we used to go to six flags in san antonio we used to go to the beach in like south padre island so it's really funny because we are so close that mexico like monterrey itself is very american when my friends go they're like you have this you have that like we have costco in every corner yeah sam's club like it's really funny because it doesn't feel like mexico sometimes it feels like the u.s but i am thankful because we had a lot of good things we had like the best i didn't have to go to study somewhere else for my college because we have the best universities there the city is really cool it's very modern and i like it so i i appreciated being born there but i love all the rest of mexico because to me it feels like more authentic mexico but yeah, Outside of Monterrey, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and we do have the best tortillas <laughs> that's that's a divisive statement because they i think you guys have the flour tortillas and then the corn tortillas are fame like more famous everywhere else in mexico right yeah like the flour tortillas people from the north like all the north states can make them really well mm -hmm. i wouldn't need flour on the south sorry so this is <laughs> this is the this is the hill you die on flour over corn yes. okay all right cool. i love corn though i love corn tortillas but if you're gonna eat flour they have to be from the north of mexico all right cool we got we've got it established now <laughs> Um, growing up over there, did you have any exposure to what you're doing today? Because I, I didn't know, I didn't know like about your journey in terms of how you got to the niche you're doing today came through actually building it and wanting to create jewelry and, and then falling in love with the processes along the way from the jobs you had. But what was your first exposure to kind of that side of, of the creative world and design and, and whatnot? So I was always very artistic as a kid. Like I was in all the arts. <laughs> I was in ballet. Then I was in jazz. There was an, I was in theater for eight years, all the way from middle school to college. I was in like Greek plays and whatnot. And I was in music school for two years. So on weekends where others are having fun, I was doing music school for two full years when I was in high school. I've always was very attracted to that. Um, and I was a kid that was always creating different things like crafts and stuff. But when I was 10 or 11, my parents took me to this little town called Dasco which is in a mountain in Mexico, near Mexico City. And I saw people making jewelry for the first time, like real jewelry, like melting metal jewelry. And I told my mom, I want to do that. Mind you, I come from a home of engineers. Everyone in my family is an engineer. My dad's an engineer. My mom's an engineer. My sister went to engineering school. My two brothers, I feel like the black sheep. Actually, I don't remember this, but my mom said, I apologize to her for not being an engineer when I graduated. <laughs> like, I'm sorry I didn't be become an engineer. She's like, why are you doing it? Like, why are you talking about me? But, um, so that was a moment when I saw that. I'm like, I want to be that when I grow up. Honestly, my parents thought she's going to grow that, but I didn't. <laughs> am, am I mistaken? Did you once mention to me that you went to school for something else and then you left with a different degree? Like you kind of just switched it? So I started, when I started industrial, desi uh, industrial design, I'm like, I'm going to study this as a base for the jewelry, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. it was always the goal. But the first week I started, I had this crazy crisis of like, what if I'm doing things wrong? I always was called to brand. Like branding was very interesting to me. I would read about it, but I didn't know it was a, a profession because there were not many brand people in Mexico back then. Um, so marketing was all about numbers, at least in my college. Yeah. And communications was all about video production that I did not want to do at all. So I got to see both and I'm like, no, I think the closest thing is like staying here in design and figuring out later. And I had a, an incredible director that said, you don't have to choose. You get get to do both. If you want to do jewelry, and back then was publicity, how we called it, I'm going to do jewelry and publicity. 
who the hell is there to police you that you cannot do both? So that was a very cool moment of like, I don't have to choose yet, but I had a path, like I had a goal, like one day I'm gonna be making jewelry, one day I'm gonna you know, have all these businesses everywhere. Like I had a very clear view. And of course, during my journey, a little things changed, but my love for you know the industry and for jewelry and for communicating those stories always stayed. I love that. That's like uh, such an organic path and also kind of still a guiding light for you as you, I mean, you focused on luxury brands when you worked out of school and we're going to get to what you did when you left school and kind of like your journey towards um, breaking off and starting your own venture. Um, but just the fact that I, I can relate to that, like where you know what your end goal is, but you're kind of just plugging away at the path and like, you know, the, the end goal and everything is still connecting to that, even though from the outside looking in, someone would be like, how do you go from industrial design to jewelry to marketing? And then, you know, back to creating, cause you still do create jewelry. Yeah, I do create jewelry. I have a small line. I created that. I actually designed this, but I have some like bespoke pieces I create now for some of my clients. I make jewelry with their brand for their clients. So like, it's been super cool to see how my passions can merge. But yeah, I have still my line and it's a great creative outlet. Love it. We have, we're kind of different from each other because you mentioned you love, uh, you love, you love change. You love all these different things. I think I am, I don't dislike change, but I'm definitely not rushing towards like, if I had to move as a kid, like if I would have had to like leave and go to like another country, I probably would have been like miserable and grungy for about a year. Um, but I love the fact that you've made a home where you are now because I really only know you as New York Martha for the most part. And you're so like New York now, like it's like your embodiment of that. Um, I wanted to ask when you left school, cause you graduated from what, what institute did you go to? You went to a Mexican so, school for college and then you went yeah. into the States to work. So I did five years in Mexico for industrial design and in, mm -hmm. in between of those. So my time in New York was actually an exchange program that didn't okay. exist by the way. I fought for it. I was like, I want to go to that school. And it was very exclusive. So they made me apply like a regular person because it's a public school. I went to FIT and it's like, I think their uh, acceptance rate is 20 to 30%. So out of 300 people that applied, only 20 of us were accepted into their one year program. Wow. And I had to fight. So my school would actually credit those things and I would get double degrees. So it was a lot of work, but I put it in. Um, so I came to New York, graduated in 2011 here, 2012 of my college. And that's when I moved to Italy because I got a, a scholarship. I I sent a project to this really cool university that's called Domus that it own, it's mostly for creatives. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it was a big architecture magazine that they opened at college because they saw the world needed more creative skilled people um, 20 something years ago, 30 years ago. Um, and I was one of the first ones to do their marketing for luxury goods, goods and luxury brand management program. So it was a master's. Oh, so and that's a kind of when I went there. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That, how did, how did you hear about the school in New York? Was there something that like someone had told you about or just like researching on your own? And I So I actually, my plan was going to Florence because my school already had a program mm. with Florence. But I realized that everyone that went there, honestly, was just there for partying. And that was not my goal. I'm like, I want to actually learn something. I don't want to go party with a bunch of Mexicans in Italy. I mean, to each their own. That was not my goal. So yeah. I found out about FIT. And then I applied and they were like, you're only admitted to the two-year program. And my school was like, you can only for two years. So I had to kind of create it for myself up in that path. 
And I'm very proud because I did not stop. I think it took a year and a half for me to get approved into that program and to get the credits and all of that. So I have heard about FIT. Honestly, it wasn't my plans. I had my head, my eyes on Italy, but this mm-hmm. was a better option. And I think everyone traveling here in exchange was doing four credits or four classes every semester. I took 10 and 14. Like oh, wow. I was, first I was super committed. Second, they told me, you're going to pay the same amount. You take three classes, I take, take 10. So Mexican Martha was like, what? I'm going to take it, all the things. So you were you living in New York for the exchange program? Was that And was that your first time outside of Mexico living away from your family? So... Yeah, I think for the longest period. Yeah, I was in Barcelona for a couple months before that when I was 19. Actually, mm-hmm. my first trip alone, I was 11. They sent me to a boarding school in Canada to practice my English. And my mom was like so worried that I was like, whatever. I forgot to call her. I was so excited <laughs> and happy that she had to call the director's office and be like, hey, can you communicate me with Martha? And I was like, hi, mom. Sorry, I lost the phone that you gave me to call you at. So I didn't call you. Haha. <laughs> like I was so chill and happy as an 11 year kid in another country but i'm um, going back to this so yeah new york was the first time i like on moved on my own then i went back to mexico finished school and then moved to italy and that was for two years um and then i went back to mexico was there for a year kind of applying for jobs seeing what Figuring was next and then finally moved here so technically i've been out of home for now almost 13 years let's talk about your time in italy um had you been to italy before what was your coming from an industrial design family um i mean i've never been to italy but the architecture is beautiful from what i've seen like how did it and it's like also like a capital of like luxury goods like a lot of luxury brands come from there so what did that like stop in your journey do for you in terms of thinking about uh luxury products and jewelry and um and that aspect of things absolutely i feel like new york was a good primer actually i got my first internship Mm -hmm. here right and I was expecting all these things from Italy, which they were, it was really cool. And I feel like New York is also really incredible in terms of fashion and jewelry and all that. So I kind of had a taste, but the way that Italians work to me was so fascinating because it's a very different world. Um, they honestly, it just felt like going back in time and some of the things, but in a beautiful way, like they're so personable in how they deal with like it's not transactional, you know? I feel like yeah. in the US sometimes we fall into being transactional and Italians are not like that. And that was super cool. Also, I love, love, love that pausa pranzo, like lunch break is sacred. You cannot touch it. You cannot talk <laughs> about business. You sit on a table and enjoy the food. And that was so beautiful because when I moved here, they're like, you in front of your desk. I was like, what? What is this? So <laughs> that was such a cool thing too. Um, being able to see how much Italians you know, they they work to live, they don't live to work. And that was such a cool, impactful thing to be present to. And I remember one day I was, you know, running late and I had to go to work or to school and I was eating a banana on the street and this little girl was so like shocked. And she like, pulled yeah, her yeah. mom and was like, mama, like, why is that lady eating a banana? And I was like, why is this so weird to them? Like, you know, in the US you see people like with a sandwich walking and like you're- All the that's time, horrible. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, I think that the pace was different. I love that it was a big city, but it wasn't overwhelmingly big. Like it was 1 million. It felt like the great size. Mm-hmm. And I honestly had a, like a lot of live things to do, like not work related. And I was doing working full time, doing my thesis and like in my master's. And I still had more like free time, which is wild, right? Because they enjoy life so beautifully. They, I feel like they have like an artisan approach to life in a way where it's like very, it's, 
it's more simple than what we make workout to be, you know, even like for luxury goods, it's like, there's an intention behind the products. It's, it's a very personal experience. Um, I actually did a project recently and, um, it was for at a dealership and they were talking about Pagani, which is in Italy. And I mean, granted that is like luxury of luxury, uh, of a brand of car. Uh, but when you go and buy the car, they will like fly you out to their manufacturing facility. You will literally build the car with them essentially. And it's like, they make this whole experience that feels like a very, it's transactional and super expensive, but they personalize it in a way that kind of, you know, brings the two together. I love that you mentioned that because you reminded me of like when my first job and we're going to get to that, but was at Cartier and I got to create an experience for 80 business owners, like store owners to mm -hmm. present them our new perfume. So for that, we flew them and to, nice. like had uh, get trains to Venice and then got them in a boat from the airport and like speed boat them to their hotel. I, I coordinated 80 people arriving to the city tours to discover this perfume. So they will like go into this kind of creative forest and we'll, they'll experience one thing and they'll experience the sand, they'll see the packaging. It was an experience, it was an adventure. And that was such a beautiful thing that I feel it was very Italian. Like, and to your point, like I got to visit some like uh, bottegas where like the artisans are working and it's so delicately made, like so taken care of. Like, yeah, like I think brands in Italy really understand what true luxury is and like the, the quality in, in when we talk about product, right? Like the, the artistry that is behind it, that is not just a one thing and done. Cartier seems to have valued like the cur curating an experience for their customer, right? And that's what you were in charge of. Um, yeah. did they, can you be transparent with us here? Because I think that's a foreign concept to, to certain people that they're not valuing their customer enough and they're not building the allure because that's a, an entire experience for somebody to fly in from another country, be put on a speedboat to their hotel. It's like a, it is like such a, you would think that would be with a brand like Cartier that like, if you think about like the overall, what they're doing, they're setting a tone and kind of setting the, um, they're really just setting the tone for the product that these people are going to be selling, evangelizing and, and putting in their storefronts. So what was the priority like on the Cartier side, like budget wise to throw that, to kind of create an experience like that? Because that's a, essentially you're laying the groundwork for people to be as invested in your, in selling your product as you are in making it. So what was the, like, how was, what was the importance to them behind the scenes or with your team behind the scenes? Yeah, so we actually hired a whole agency to be my arms because, of course, there was no way, you know, I could have done that. Mm -hmm. um, Martha was tw 23 back then or 22. Like when I, I and my, my boss was like, Martha's going to coordinate this. And I'm like, oh, my God. Also, they don't speak English. So I had to polish my Italian. And I went so many times to Venice. But honestly, it was like living the dream. You know, I had this hotel room where I would open the window and I would see like candles oh. in Venice. And I'm like, I'm doing this. This is so cool. That's but my dream city, of... by the way. That's like my, really? uh, when, I grew, when I grew up, I read a, a book called The Thief Lord. And it was about like these ragtag group of kids who like just go steal stuff in Venice. But it was like a classic Venice. And I was like, this city must be like the coolest city in the world. Like not because of thieves and stuff like that, but I did have an, kind of an obsession with it. Like, it's really uh, cool that kind of robin hood story 
carnival there is incredible. I went yeah. like four or five times with friends and then I said, and then for work, right? And then mm -hmm. I was like, next time I come, I need to come with someone that I'm in love with because you <laughs> see all the love and all the couples and I was there by myself. So yeah. that was my only, that my only feedback about Venice, but it's beautiful and it's, yeah, it's like its own thing. I feel like that's a cool thing about Italy too. Like how I feel about Mexico that every region is a different world. So that was really nice. But to your point of what we care about, like I went scouting everything, like locations were so important to us, making sure, I don't know if you saw this movie with um, Johnny Depp that was about like a robber that came mm. through a window, I forgot um, the name, but he, yeah, he has dinner in this about. fancy yeah. restaurant. Yeah, well, she's like, like invite me for dinner, like ask me for dinner or something. There's like this- with Angelina Jolie, you know? Yeah, with Angelina Jolie. And I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but I know I've seen the like enemies. Is that it? No, that's the no. Uh, that's his uh, James Dillinger movie. Okay, so they um they had that, that restaurant scene at this hotel called Danielli, and I remember that. So I went there and asked for like budgets and things, and like it was really cool because I did have a budget, right? But then they kind of did this when it was needed because we prioritize the experience and. To your point, like little things mattered, like how we deliver the invitations, how everyone was dressed. Like the guys at the door were wearing this like Cartier kind of guard like garbs. Like we hired mm -hmm. this models to wear that. The girls were wearing these dresses that look like, you know, Greek goddesses. Like it was all so beautifully curated because they, to your point, they care about every detail because every touch point matters. And I think we sometimes forget, you know, we create something really cool here. And then the other side is like, Eh. so the then program. yeah exactly and then people are confused and they don't trust right because they're like this is incredible but here's uh so why should i trust you and that leans completely into what you do today and we won't get into it yet but it's one of those things where you shouldn't uh you should be intentional about every touch point like every every exposed area where your customer or anybody who comes in contact with your brand shouldn't be something that feels like you didn't pay attention to. Like you paid attention to selling, but you didn't pay attention to the packaging. You didn't pay attention to the customer service experience, all of that. So that was interesting. I didn't know that they did that. Although I have a, my sister's friend uh, has always worked for like really nice brands. And whenever I hear about the things that she goes on and does, I think she worked for Dior. Um, and it was like such an intentionality behind all of the, um, the products and just going into selling them that it's just when i was working at cartier one of my friends was working at moet and she invited me to an activation so they like hired this out this beautiful palace in milan and it was like this summer party in the palace and i'm like is this your life this is what you do every time and she's like i know it looks glamorous but you know in the middle of the night i am like eating the whatever because i need to run and i hear her but that looks so beautiful i'm like i don't know I don't know if I'm suffering, like if I feel bad for you because this is your suffering in Greece and in, you know, Italy. This sounds really nice. Yeah, it's like very romantic, the whole lifestyle. Uh, I kind of want to ask, like, I, I was going to, we're going to move on to what you did, like your first job out of school, because I know you were working at Cartier while you were doing your master's, right? So what about the cuisine in Italy? I know like it varies by region. Were you, was it incredible? Was it as incredible as I think it would be? It's incredible. I am so picky now. Like I really? when when I when I came here, my when I started dating Rodney, actually one of my coworkers, she's a food writer, and because I used to work in the food industry for a while mm -hmm. for like four years, um, and she said, "How did Rodney dare to choose an Italian restaurant and just invite you?" Because he had a date in an Italian restaurant. 
that's okay. Um, so I am super picky. I have my Italian favorites here in New York because it's very different. Yeah. What I love about Italian food, honestly, is how simple it is. I feel like we in the US and in Mexico are like pizza with 20 ingredients. Yes. Like Italians mm -hmm. are like three things, pasta, three things. Putting like uh, I was working with a client that is doing like meal kits and stuff. And I was like, you need to make sure that those recipes that you're calling Italian are Italian, consult with an Italian. The recipes you're calling Mexican are actually Mexican. Because he had like a pasta with uh with uh, chicken on it. And I'm like, Italians would like kill you if they saw that because they do not put protein with the pasta. That's an insult. So like learning about how much first they love it and how different it is from one town to the other was really cool. And also, yeah, like everything I tried, like one of my friends just went back after nine years of not being there and she sent me photos of our little favorite places. And I'm like, oh my God, I remember that place. And you it's know? like the and same, it's like stuck in time. Yes, it's like stuck in time. And she said that her, her husband was like, maybe you thought this was good because you were a student and that's kind of what you could do back then. <laughs> and then they went and they were like, you know, $7 sandwiches. And then she's like, it tastes, it still tastes like seven. Like it is that good. Honestly, not to hype it up, but yeah, Italian food is amazing. I had a blast eating through my way through Italy. Nice. I have a, I have a friend of mine from high school. She just went to, um, are you familiar with Massimo Bottura? He's a famous. Oh my uh, God. Yes. He's on my list. I, yeah. I told Rodney for a honeymoon. I want to go to his restaurant in Modena. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. She just went to that. And um, she said it was just insane. Like, just insane. I was watching his episode too recently. And it's what you said. I mean, there was a. He has a dish that literally is like the five stages of Parmesan uh, Reggiano. And it's just like five different ways to prepare it but it's one ingredient in the dish it's like a simplicity but uh, i mean with him it's it's a whole nother level because he's reinvented it in a different way but yeah simplicity but creative i think mm -hmm. which is really good mm -hmm. and like the quality too so mm -hmm. when i was here i couldn't eat any flour or any like 12 years ago i got really sick so they removed that i moved to italy i could eat all the things because it was not processed i feel like in heard the that. everything God. is so processed interesting okay yeah. the, the flour there the quality like your body loves it you're not bloated really from clean. it or anything like that yeah that's i've heard that before and um that it's the process along the way to mass produce it that creates all the issues in our gut but you know funny enough out in that chef's table episode i didn't realize massimo was pretty much hated or not respected for like several years because he was taking traditional italian cooking and um essentially he was kind of bastardizing it like he was bringing it into the new world to introduce it to people but it was like taking abuela's cooking and putting a twist on it which over there in modena was like uh it's like blasphemy to do that to the cuisine but now yeah it's it, yeah now he's incredible later, yeah yeah, exactly. But I feel I totally understand that. Like they are very respectful of the food. Actually, now that you say Modena, tiny towns in Italy, if you step into the door, you have to sit and eat. There's no yeah. going. I like, like I'm not gonna check the menu and leave. <laughs> like you walked in, you stay. Like even if you don't like any on the menu, like you there's have no to like order here in the something. U yeah. yeah. It's That's not hilarious. like here in the US that you check the menu. Oh yeah, there's like, no oh, window shopping. No. Yeah. no, no, no. They're like you mm -hmm. enter, you sit. That's how it is in Israel too. In Israel, really? it, was, it was the exact same thing. It was, I was by the guide. They were like, it's rude to go into a store without the intention of buying something. Like in the US, like I'm in and out of stores, like looking at stuff and I won't buy All something. All the time. Yeah, like, yeah, over, yeah. over there, it's, it's rude. If you go into a store and you just like are literally window shopping and taking the attendance time 
for something and you actually don't end up buying. Mm -mm -mm. That's so funny. Yeah. I, I, I could see that. Um, yeah. So, um, leaving school after Cartier, what was your, what jobs did you have? Like, what was like the steps to where you got to today? Kind of walk us through. Sure. A bit of your so I actually finished school and stayed in Cartier. I finished school after three months or four months in Cartier. Then I continued there being there full time. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it was kind of when the economic crisis was hitting Italy. So they couldn't hire foreigners. They're like, we love you. You can stay if you do another master's. And believe it or not, I was about to do another master's, this time in Italian, because my first master's I did in English. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, because of the crazy bureaucratic government in Italy, it, I never got my visa. So they needed to move on and they hired someone. And I was, I remember I was so devastated. I was like, oh no. But because I also had signed out another year of lease there, like all these things were kind of prepared for me. And mm -hmm. then I had to figure out my feet. So I moved back to Mexico. Funny enough, the day I, I hear that Italy said, we cannot wait for you anymore. I was working on my visa in Mexico. I wake up the next day, super devastated. And I had an email from Cartier Mexico. Hey, we got your resume. Someone from like a guy I met months before had sent it to them. And they're like, we need to we want to interview you. I had no idea for what job. Um, it was a directorship. And I was 26, Ooh, a director yeah. of, of perfumes in Mexico. After four months, a lot of interviews, final here in New York. I did not get it. They told me I was too young. Four um, months? Yes, four months Oof. of interviews. Ask yeah. about like keeping strong character. And Good I was Lord. in another interviewing process where I think we started 1,500 of us. We were five at the very end. I was the only one that wow. was not an engineer. <laughs> and they were like, it was like kind of like a rat lab. All these directors were around us and they were doing all these tests on us, like kind of consulting tests. It was weird. Uh, I didn't end up getting it and another huge blessing, which meant I started applying to New York jobs. They called me from this place, tiny consultancy. They're like, do you know Moleskine? I'm like, absolutely. Like I love, like I'm a designer. We like adore Moleskin, we put it in a pedestal, whatever. So they're like, great, um, we're looking for our retail marketing coordinator. This will be your job. You have Moleskin, but also all these other two brands. We can pay you this. I did not negotiate. Like, actually I tried, but they didn't want to. So, <laughs> so I stuck it up. I moved to, I came to the first last interview in person. So I flew to New York from Mexico and I went to meet the CEO, Spaniard guy, really cool. Met the team. My boss was gonna be the Spaniard woman that was like a little older than me. Um, I joined, I had no idea what a retail marketing coordinator was, to be honest. And <laughs> I was thrown into, now your responsibilities are building all these marketing plans. Uh, and I was fresh off like, you know, Cartier, but like also felt fresh off school because also the US different country, they run marketing different, um, is different to do wholesale than I was doing retail now. And I got thrown to three different brands, all these projects to manage and also visual merchandising. Good thing I'm a, I'm a, tr a trained, you know, inter in, uh, industrial designer because I know how to work 3D. Yeah. But I had suddenly from like start, I had eight stores to visual merchandise, plus marketing, plus partnerships, plus eventing. So I learned in the field. I went from never working retail in my whole life, like not even sending a store to opening 15 in two years. Did they, wow. did they hold that? It sounds to me like they wanted somebody who could grow in the role. Otherwise, you know, you didn't have the experience necessarily for, for a position like that at the start, right? 
No, I didn't have the experience, but I think I had a couple of things in my favor. One, I had like my master's in marketing, so I understood marketing and knew how to craft plans. And I had real experience because in my master's, it was not, you know, about exams and it was real projects. All uh, the projects I did, mm-hmm. I presented to the companies like it was real. That's how I got my gig at Cartier. That's how I got hired at Cartier. I presented a project to them, a project that I ended up taking and doing, which was the best accomplishment to me. Like I'm de- doing something in school and they're using it. Um, so I think that helped. And also that I spoke Italian. I knew how to work with Italians. Two of the three companies were Italian. They're like, we'll have someone that speaks Italian and she'll understand that. And she's willing to learn, which I was like, I worked 12 hour days for God knows how much. And I loved it. Like I cannot complain, but I I really, really loved it. I was 26, you know, nothing to lose. I was traveling all the Mm -hmm. time, living in hotels and then eating out. I loved it. I, I would not take any of that back. Moleskin uh, does journals. Now, am I am I completely wrong about this? No, you're completely right. Yeah, I have one right here. They do these cute little journals, and well, not not always little, but they have different ones like this. Mm, so yeah. we have special editions. This is special edition. Um, they have the classic one is this black little one, and it's an Italian brand that a lot of people think is French, but it's Italian, and it has been around since 1993. And a lot of people think it's way older. It's is, not. It's a baby brand. They did is, a great branding job. Is that their main uh, product, journals? or Journals is their main product. Now they have a line of backpacks and lifestyle products. They have mm-hmm. grown so much. They also have pens. They also have really cool collaborations with artists. I think, to me, their collaborations and limited editions are some of the coolest things Moleskine does. But yeah, the main bestseller thing is the the diary, you know, the black simple notebook yeah. that has the the separator and the folder in the back too mm-hmm. but you're staying up a lot of sketching a lot of artists a lot of writers like swear by moleskin and it's been like dog the notebook to have is like the elegant notebook i mean other than mont blanc right that does like really high-end notebooks i think people that care about how they're perceived will have a moleskin did you um how long did you work at moleskin and how many other jobs did you or companies did you work for uh before launching into your business so moleskin was one of the clients of this tiny consultancy and i also okay. had another yeah client called Picuadro. but funny enough i worked as part of their organization like i, I was the retail marketing manager i went from coordinator to manager moleskin mm-hmm. was my biggest client um i did have Picuadro. i had strenes which was a german brand and i had a couple other smaller brands another spanier fashion brand so i got to taste a little bit of everything like retail fully standalones and also shopping shops which is inside of bloomingdale's i got to open five stores within the store which was very interesting very different how you run marketing is absolutely different so again it was the best school i was in that consultancy for around two years then um, my clients told me hey we are going to move on we are going to take this in-house we cannot take you you're very expensive if we have to pay out your company for you (laughs) so you know because there were non-competes there they couldn't coach me so I thankfully started applying for jobs. So when this company first, I, where I was working for, started laying everyone off, uh, they hadn't laid me off. I was like, okay, guys, so bye. Um, I, had apply, <laughs> I had applied to this really cool um, bakery, French bakery. They had 15 locations in New York, and it was like, like a New York staple. Like the best French bread in New York to me was Maison Kaiser. And I applied and I went through like the first person and then the marketing director. And then I had a 
two hour and a half call with a CEO. And he was testing me. He was like, um, I went to, I've never heard a CEO say this in my whole life. I went to your Pinterest board and there are not a lot of food themes. I was like, anyway, I told him the food is in, the food is in Instagram. Go check Instagram. Is it, <laughs> it's a smaller, uh, or maybe it was a smaller, what was the name of the, the bakery? My son Kaiser. So it was only in New York in the U S they have 25 mm -hmm. locations in Mexico, 20 or 30 okay. in Japan. Um, so they're build, couple, bigger internationally than, than yeah. here. Yeah, they have like twenty something in London. They had uh, so many in France. That's where it's originally from. Eric Kaiser is a baker. I got to meet him, like the founder. Uh huh. And and then for six months, I had an incredible boss that taught me all the ropes. I opened two stores with her. Then she left for an amazing job in another industry, and I was left on my own with a marketing department of you know, 20 stores and almost a hundred million in sales a year and oh marketing, design, eventing, openings. I did three openings by myself. So it was a lot, but again, another great school. Why? Because I didn't have a food background. I had never even been a server and, and they I got put, to open. They put you in charge of global openings or domestic? No, like I was So we were a licensee, which means okay. that we had the rights for the US. I was only okay. opening US and I was there until we were making plans to open in DC. That's when I left because I got uh, contacted by another cafe and they told me, we'll give you a team of five people. And I was like, where do I sign? Because I was so tired of doing it I'm myself. Doing it by yourself. Yeah, I can that's, imagine. That's crazy doing it by yourself there. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, part of it, lo I loved it because I got so many, ha some hands on experience. I like knew the CEO by name. Like he would call me and I'm like, what's up, you know? which is very rare for people to call the CEO like, hey, what's up? Like mm -hmm. I could joke with him, which is a really cool thing. Well, he was sending you Pinterest. I mean, that's just, that's incredible. Like I actually like that personally, when a CEO is directly involved with what's going yeah. on. Obviously it's feasible for for some, not for all. Um, that's pretty incredible. Is that next cafe, is that uh, Dr. Smoot? Uh, Dr. Smoot? Yeah. So okay. that's the first time ah. I went to Miami as an adult. I became the marketing manager of Dr. Smooth. I have an art director that was like, uh, was my sidekick. And mm -hmm. it was so funny because we're both our names started with M and we're the same age. And we're like, are you recruiting only people with M? That's like, <laughs> it was really funny. We had a CMO that did not come from restaurants. So I got to bring in a lot of my like newly grasped understanding of how restaurants work, how you market, how you like all the rules and regulations. Cause we have so many, right? Cause well, we're just, like, just to give a background, um, you got to Dr. Smooth and just give like a little preface. Dr. Smooth's like a little cafe with juices and breakfast. Thank you for explaining. Yeah. Sandwiches. So it's, uh, it, we were, we used to call ourselves the healthiest cafe in the world. It was, mm -hmm. everything was almost vegan, except in Miami, we had a Cuban sandwich because they're like, we need to sell Cuban ah. sandwiches there. <laughs> we didn't have it in New York. And when I went to Miami, I'm like, this is incredible. Why are we not selling it in New York? They're like, no, it's only for Miami. So um it was almost everything was vegan it was very healthy our inside joke was that we were losing money because everything that we bought was more expensive that we were selling it for and it was an expensive cafe but everything like a ceo was obsessed with getting the best of the best so we would bring turmeric from hawaii we would this is a true story guys we will fly water from denmark for the juices wow <laughs> that's crazy i was like what <laughs> and one of my mentors was like, that sounds like great for the environment. Don't even start there. But it's so impressive to me that the length they would go, they have an R&D department. They hired a Michelin star chef to redo the, the recipes. I was very impressed. The like, oh. But you got there before they had already become big, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got there when they were just 
kind of starting in New York. They had already opened in Miami. They opened in Miami first. Then they kind of came here and they opened, they opened their offices here. And I got there when they were starting to kind of grow their marketing team and everything. So I was there for like two and a half years, I think. It was awesome. Was their first location in Miami the Brickell City Center or, or somewhere else? Wingwood. Wingwood was the first. Okay. That's where the office was based too. Okay. Yeah. That's that's the one I've been to a few times. It, it's it's been a while, but it was great every time I've been there. I have oh, a secret. I love to hear that. I have a secret. Okay. I haven't I haven't been to Doctor Smooth. What? Once. Mm -mm. What? I've passed by it a million times. Dude. I've never I've never actually gone into oh, Doctor Smooth. You, you've got to drive to Winwood tonight, and you're gonna you're gonna go to the salty donut. You're gonna get a cup of coffee, and then you're gonna go to Doctor Smooth. All all in one shot. All in one shot. All right. Yeah. Let's do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't done it. Yeah, but I've been more to the Brickle City Center. I walk right by it and I go get myself a lobster roll from Luke's. I did. <laughs> I did all the signage that you see inside the store, all the screens. Mm -hmm. I install those. Like I was there with the installers here mm -hmm. in New York too, up to 4 a.m., making sure those were installed before we opened. Nice. I was very, again, like I love being hands on and being an, an industrial designer was super helpful because I understood materials. I understood what the samples, what they were talking about. I'm like the fridges are not working well and we need them to be magnetic so it was very cool because i used to do a lot of like marketing operational stuff that i geeked about so that was super fun with smooth and you worked for some really well designed brands too i mean like you got you got a nice like 360 degree type of exposure to the entire marketing process like you know doing the physical experiences curating experiences for cartier and then launching stores and managing teams and then all the signage and pretty much the helping expand Dr. Smooth. What were like, if you had to sum it up, some of like the biggest lessons and takeaways of your time working? Because I feel like all three of those were kind of like one giant job that all came together towards like what you ended up venturing yeah, into. I think so. I think all my background really helped me to kind of see the holes in marketing plans now for others or see where I could help them. I think the biggest lesson, honestly, in being with such beautiful brands that are taking care of their brand in all the aspects or trying right that all the touch points kind of make sense was that like it's so valuable the reason most can can charge 20 dollars for the notebook is not the paper or the quality it is good quality but that's not what makes it charge 20 is the story that they're telling people is the culture that they're building is what they believe in and how much they push that if you buy a both most can notebook I'll, I'll take you one next time i'm in miami you'll see that there's a little paper that tells you the story they will never stop doing that because it's part of that experience. With uh, Kaiser, with the French bakery, we had in store every bakery had we were baking in house, and it was an operational, honestly, mess. It was hard. It was really hard to keep them clean, to keep them running. To it was expensive, and yeah. my operations guy wanted to kill that. And I told him, "No, you're killing the story. People want to go see through the glass. They want to see the bakers create, and they want to see the bread baking. That was magical." So I learned that there's always a, a way to create a magical experience, right? To go the extra mile. And it looks very different from Moleskine. In Moleskine, I got to bring a lot of artists. I got to bring musicians. I I got to have this Grammy Award guitarist come and play within in my Soho store. And one lady came and told me, I have passed through this store by, two, for, by this store for two years. This is the first time I crossed the door. And I was that was the best testimonial I could have heard that my my ideas were working because people mm -hmm. were actually entering the store right so i think it gave me also this edge of being okay with trying things and experimenting i feel like i had this like innate thing of wanting to be perfect of course like high achiever like hey like i have to be perfect or not yeah. and i think i had to move on my feet and create things and 
keep going and how do I innovate? Like sometimes my stores will call me and like, hey, we're not selling bags. I will fly to, you know, Boston and redo the whole store and the bags then will triple in sales. And that was such a cool thing. Like how one aspect could transform the thing. So always keeping moving and always keep trying because you never know what the thing is going to be. Same for San Francisco. I think it was my favorite story. Like Moleskine was not like performing well. I went there. I spent two days redoing the whole windows. Our sales grew again. And it's something that you won't think is making a big difference, but it is. Um, with Dr. Smooth, it was cool about. So it's funny because I think Kaiser and Dr. Smooth were very fun because they were different. With Kaiser, it was very commercial, but the brand was so elegant and that was not being transmitted. So in Kaiser, my job was to make it less salesy, less retaily, and more elegant mm-hmm. and elevating the brand. With Smooth, it was beautiful, but no one knew we were selling stuff. So I got to be and yeah. make it more commercial. I'm like, guys, what are we doing with this? And like kind of push operations to be ready. So when we did a marketing push, operations could actually handle this. So it felt like a very different, it feels like it's something that prepared me to be always on my feet, to be ready to kind of take challenges as they come and okay, be okay with not knowing what the answer is, but like getting to test and try and see, okay, that what did well, what did it, what are we doing next? So that I think was a really cool thing. And my last job experience after Smooth was actually a jewelry manufacturer. It was my first, first B2B experience. I was like, who in the world can I hire me for B2B when I, I've always done B2C? Yeah. And it was another type of challenge too. Like, how do I manufacture, how do I talk about our incredible manufacturing with like, you know, 50 incredible jewelers if I cannot show the brands that I'm manufacturing for that are very famous? One of them is the biggest uh, jewelry design brand in the US with mm-hmm. a beautiful blue color. And I couldn't show anything that we were doing. And it was hard, guys. How do you market <laughs> something you cannot show, right? So mm-hmm. I had to be creative. I had to tell the stories of all the jewelers because people think factory, they think a machine. And it was not. It was people. So Are I needed s- to show that. So I would the- say. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, what are you going to say? I was going to ask, was the beautiful blue color Tiffany? Yes. <laughs> all right. Um, I'm, I'm like, I'm not there anymore. So I, I hope I don't get in trouble. But yeah, we were <laughs> we were making jewelry for a lot of brands, including that one, including mm-hmm. other big brands. Um, mm-hmm. But I couldn't say it. So it was it was interesting, right? Um, but all of this to say that I think it prepared me to be in my fate to know what has worked and what hasn't. I feel like I tried so many things um, that now I can give better advice to my clients in terms of consulting. And when I'm building differentiation, I get to test it with brands that I know that are tried and true, right? Like have already made it successfully. Yeah. And I can show my clients like, this is how we build this. And I feel like it's so great to be able to be in a, such a you know, well-oiled machine because you can bring those same concepts into smaller brands and help them grow and be able to actually compete with the big players. It, mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of this advice uh, I heard once about the type of jobs you should be looking to take. and. Um, the advice essentially was you'll know an opportunity is right for you when it's just like when it's just kind of outside your reach like when you're in that part of the pool where you're on on your tippy toes type of thing you got to stretch a little bit it's going to stretch you you know and i think there's like a misconception that you have to take a job that you're a hundred percent prepared for like you know you see these damn uh, job postings and it's like experience 15 years experience in this, a master's degree in this, equivalent experience with this, working with AAA retailers. Like, like nobody's coming in. Most of the time, people are not coming in with all that experience. But if you have, if you're like maybe 80% there or 70% there, like you can grow into that extra 30%. 
um, I feel like that's a cool thing about like getting a job that is like challenging you a little bit because absolutely. if not, you're gonna get bored. Yeah, you get thrown into the fire, and that's where you learn the most. Um, I find it interesting that a lot of your brands, like it kind of went back to going to their roots and telling their story of how they um of how they were started and kind of just really doubling down on that. And with that being said, I wanted to ask you for for those listening. Uh, we've had two people on so far who are, are branding experts. One who is um, taking a unique approach with with AI, but we didn't really discuss what is a brand. Why mm-hmm. is branding important? And so I was hoping you could kind of lay that out for the for the person out there. Is like, what are these people talking about a brand for like an hour and a half? Like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, I, I love to talk about this yeah. because it is what I do right every mm-hmm. day, all day, and I do not get tired of it so i love marty Myers. like he's like the father of branding definition of mm-hmm. brand which is a person's gut feeling about your product of your service i also love how jay bezos describes it as like what people say when you're not on the room right your reputation so is this something you kind of give people either you in person or your product or your packaging is something that you're making them feel and you cannot control it. The, actually, the brand is created by the consumer. But you can influence it and you can be intentional, which is like people are like, oh, I cannot own my brand. I cannot control it. So whatever, right? No, mm-hmm. you get to influence it. So that's why brand strategy exists. And brand strategy pretty much is radical differentiation. That's the, the thing that it means. Like, how can you stand out from the crowd? Because why humans, we notice what's different. How are you differentiating yourself and not from the crowd? So you're not a commodity, right? Because if I show you a grain of coffee and I tell you, if I give you a hundred of this, will you pay 20 bucks? And you'll be like, absolutely not. What if I tell you it was from, you know, this mom and pop uh, producer in Colombia and they only do 10 batches every month and they ship it to you and you're like, that's a steal. I'm going to get it right now because they told you a story about it because you know where it's coming from and why it matters. And that's exactly it. how to turn your business from commodity into brand can you walk us through when you get a customer who's looking for um a branding strategy brand design where do you start like what is it, what is like your first you know first step of like all right we're going to approach it this is step one first and foremost i love this question because I, there, there's two camps and i am proud member of one of the camps there's two camps there's, of, of branding strategy like period like, okay. of, where, of where they start at okay least, mm-hmm. or like okay. where they focus so there's one that is very customer centric to me it's great to understand the customer to understand their needs all of those things are fine and dandy i am founder centric why because for me mario you're you're starting your studio because you have a story like there's a reason you're here there's a reason you got here and i want to extract that from you so i can share it with the world there's a reason something that for you may be very obvious that you're absolutely different and everyone else can see it but you because we hardly see what differentiates us what makes us different what makes us unique so i start with the founder story i start with their why so i have my own methodology of how i do branding i developed it by hanging out with and and training under like marty meyer and fabian gay halter and crazy and anelli and a lot of really cool people that have been doing brand for a long time I also, of course, you know, my, my master's in brand management and brand development, but the, my way of doing it is like, I'm building a human. I always tell my clients what we're doing together is building a human. Mm-hmm. So we start by the heart. To me, the heart is, is like bigger purpose, bigger than making money, 
why this, why now, what should people care? So we talk about what got you here? You could be doing so many other things to make money. Why this, why now? We, I ask them all their story, like even sometimes the name, like sometimes they have these really cool names and I'm like, how do you get there? And why is it that name? What do you want to create? I actually go with them and we envision what success looks like five, 15, 10, 15, 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. And for some people are like, like, this is a lot. Why are you asking me this? This is not a brand, you know? I want to understand what they want to create, like the impact they want to build beyond making money. After that, we pass to what I call like the personality, the second P or the or the soul. Like we build same like you and me have a way of speaking, have a way of joking, have a way of connecting with others. We do that for the brand. Like how was the voice? Is it more serious? Is it more loud? Is it bold? Something that you can actually own as a brand. And it's not only you, the founder, but everyone that is going to be connected to that. And then lastly, but not least, is actually the most important part, the mind of the brand, what I call like the positioning. And for that is like, okay, who else is a big player? I like, we see three to five big competitors and see, okay, how do we differentiate from those? How do we stand out? And also we see where our ideal audience is. This is when I start bringing in the client. Who is my ideal client? How do I connect with them? So this is the, to me, the third part of the process. And then we jumped into design. To me, design is incredible, but it's a cherry on the top of all this work that we did. I spent three days with my clients to create like three full days. Um, I met someone that's like, oh, I spent one hour with my client and that's how I develop a brand. I'm like, what? How can you create that? Like, I spend a lot of time with them because to me, they are the experts of their brand. I am there to ask questions. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, you, you mentioned the two, two different pools that people are in. People uh, will either focus on the customer or the founder first. I actually come from uh, a UX background, so I'm I'm a UX director, and I deal with a lot of digital products. And you know, our big focus is always the customer, right? Um, but we always like to to add on to that, at least at least where I'm at at, at the company that I work with. Um, you know, that we we always design for the user, but it's within the business goals. So still trying to apply that focus onto the uh, you know the, the actual why for you know why the company exists, uh, what they're trying to do, what they're trying to achieve. If you don't design for the both of those, at least, at least, you know, in my field, from my perspective, you're you're going to fail. So I, I find that very interesting that there's like a, a two very different approaches to to solving for for branding like that. It's cool though. Yeah, thanks for sharing that perspective. And I agree. I feel like especially for more uh, like touch point mm-hmm. areas, I agree. Like you need to understand your customer because at the end of the day, they are the ones that are going to be navigating it. They're going to be responding, right? And even for us, for brand, we do talk a lot about customer. Like, don't get me wrong, but I don't start there. I start with the founder because mm-hmm. to me, like, there's a reason he created this and I want to know why. And sometimes, like, I had clients that bought the thing. They didn't create it, but I also want to know why they bought it and what was interesting. Yeah. And, you know, so sometimes, like, the differentiator actually comes from what they are to their clients. Sometimes it comes from their process. Sometimes it could be as simple. I just rebranded a client a couple months ago and his differentiator, which sounds really silly, he's a manufacturer. His differentiator is kindness. Mm. He is the kindest in his industry and everyone else has confirmed me that. I talked to his customers, I talked to his team. Everyone says like, I've asked them, why do you choose him? Because he's the nicest one, he's the kindest one. He's like so patient, he takes the time to explain. And I'm like, sometimes people would dismiss something as small as kindness, but it could take you a long way. So I love that and I love, I, to your point, I agree. Like you have to consider both, but I love starting from the founder. Absolutely. I want 
I want to say two notes. Um, one, it feels like the entire branding process is also a process of self-discovery for the client. And, you know, they're so busy in the day-to-day. -day. We all are so busy in the day-to-day -day that mm -hmm. sometimes we lose track of what Zach's talking about, which is the why, who we are, you know, that sort of thing, uh, the core uh, of that. Um, can you talk a little bit about, like, what is, like, the – how does the client leave that experience? I'm assuming they leave kind of like – Oh wow, I understand. I understand myself now. Like what I think some of them, like one of my like my best feedback I've gotten was, you know what, Martha, the, the book is beautiful. The results, like the tangible assets are awesome. My favorite was the process with you. Like I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about I create. I had clients that cry during the sessions when they see, like, we do this thing about like the impact they're creating in the world and what are the benefits of working with them. Mm -hmm. One of them is like, I've never seen this in front of my face, you know, like it's very, so sometimes we do it in person and it's really cool because they get to see all these boards around them filled with post-it notes. And yeah. one of them was like, can I take a photo of this? I want to frame that. I want this in my, uh, in my desk. And I also had like my, my client that again, is a manufacturer, right? He doesn't like ever spend time doing this. It, he's been in the industry for 25 years. And to me, another big gift was he saying, Oh, what we did was so cool. He was telling his daughter about our work together. He's like, she brought these amazing questions. I've never seen my business this way. And it was so fun and it was so cool. And the questions were so interesting to look at. Um, and right now, one of my clients told me like, Marta, every time we finish a call, because sometimes I do it like in the three full day, sometimes we like divide it by two hours. Like mm -hmm. this client is this way. And she's mm -hmm. like, every time we finish a call, I go into my website and change something because I feel like I gain clarity insight or something yeah in in into another area of my business that i hadn't seen that way so i feel like it's kind of like therapy for for the business <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that's interesting you, you had mentioned a little earlier that you know you can't you can't control your brand but you can influence it. I, I feel like you know a lot of people getting into this industry are always thinking about you know how they're going to you know, create a brand but it sounds more like you know you're, you're not actually creating it you're, you're discovering what it is and then you're adding some guideposts around that to try and help stay on uh on the trajectory to to uh you know improve that and and solve what uh you know the founder is, is really trying to do yeah i love that perspective yes it's it's like uh and it's ever evolving i think like you know we never finish creating the brand mm -hmm. or like re-evolving the brand and yes it's a discovery because to me the differentiator is already there like i'm like this minor finding the gold. I believe that they already have it inside of them. My job as a brand strategist is to pull it and to kind of reflect it to them. I am also very thankful because I'm a, I'm a trained coach. I went to a one-year training program and that has helped me kind of ask better questions and truly listen to what they're saying, to what they're not saying. One of my clients was like, <clears throat> there's no story, Martha. We're close friends. He's like, I just found a great opportunity and that's it. And I'm like, no, there has to be a story. <laughs> He's like, no, there was a hole in the market and that's that. And I was like, okay. But, and my sister was listening and she was next to me. She's also a trained brand there. And she was like, nice. that's not the story. Like she was just like listening and telling me that's not true. Like dig, dig him more. So I was like, why like he's opening a, a bread lab in a bakery and i'm like what bread he's like well i went to all these restaurants you know and the bread was not good i'm like who the hell goes to restaurants and checks the bread like you're there to eat the food I, 
I don't think I've been in ever to a restaurant and be like, oh my god, this bread's amazing. Oh, this bread. Whoa, whoa, I think, whoa. Wait, <laughs> I I enjoy the bread. I just went to a John George restaurant here in New York this weekend, and the bread was amazing. I do okay. have to say that, but I'm not there looking for the bread. If that makes yeah. sense, right? <laughs> like, I think it's a very unique way of like, oh, I'm gonna go to five restaurants to check on the bread. Like, I I don't yeah. do that. Um, so that was one thing he said, and I was like, why bread? Like, why is bread so important to you? Who cares if the bread's not good in a restaurant? And then he said, like, uh, he grew up in France, in Nîmes, in a tiny town in the southwest, so east of France. Um, and it, his favorite thing to do every morning and every night was to go with dad to pick the baguette in the morning and in the evening. Every day, little Alex, my friend, would go, six, five years, six-year-old, bring back the baguette, holding him, holding it, and holding dad's hand. That was his favorite activity. He said, when I grow up, I want to be a baker. But his parents told him, Baker, it's such a hard life. They were both artists, the parents. So they're like, we don't want this for you. We want you to get a, a job that is like, you know, a good job that gives you a good life. We don't want you waking up at 3 a.m. to be in the bakery at 4 a.m. That's not a life. Um, so he ended up going to a hotel school, became a manager, became the director in one of the areas at Kaiser. That's how we met. And now he's, he's actually yeah. doing his dream, what he wanted as a kid to do this bakery. And now you want to go and buy that bread. I'm not, you haven't even known that it's good or not, which is really good, by the way. I tried it. Uh, but that's the story. And he's like, no, that's something that you created. I'm like, no, it's something that's true. You said it. And his dad passed two years ago and they were super close. And I'm like, this is such a cool homage to your dad. Like, he was your best friend. And now you get to do this and kind of honor him through it. So it was such a cool discovery moment, especially from someone that didn't want to kind of see beyond is a great marketing market opportunity i've got to say the irony of two art artist parents telling their child to take a stable life <laughs> is, is pretty funny um i you, you mentioned something i wanted to ask two things or make two comments um one of your customers the manufacturer that his differentiator is kindness and i think sometimes it is just as simple as that i mean i remember starting my business and being like you know measuring myself up against like the, the people who I think are the best. I'm like, you know, what differentiates me? Cause I feel like I don't have that experience nor that skill um, at this point. So what is a differentiator? And I was like, it kind of just came back to simple traits that I noticed people were overlooking, which was um, customer service, like treating your customer, how you would want to be treated uh, communication, uh, like communication skills and always being attentive to their needs before they have to ask you for something. Uh, little things like that. And I was like, that's my, that's my differentiator. Like, that's why people hire me. That's why they're willing to pay for this or to choose me over the next guy. And it was because like, I want to, I haven't had a client ever come up to me and be like, man, you really just didn't give a damn about this project. And you like, we really felt like we were on the back burner. Uh, but to my, to my question, I wanted to ask, how do you deal or overcome those objections with the, with the customer that is not necessarily um, aware of their story or maybe like, how do you get them to see the importance of their, of the roots of their brand? Like kind of you, you overcame that with your, your client, the, the baker. How do you overcome that generally? I think this is what you, we said before, like creating first a safe space for them mm -hmm. to be able to open up. And also like, I have a beautiful, you know, framework but i sometimes put it to a side because i want to hear them out again i feel like they are the best who know the business the best 
And my job is just to reflect that back to them. So first, creating that report, I agree with you. Like, I, I feel, I believe I have a great customer service. I believe I'm personable and kind and create a safe space for them. Also not pushing them, you know, to give me the answers. If that's not something they want to talk about, then we switch to another activity and then come back. Yeah. Like I create, for me, it's about them. It's not about me or what I want in the moment. It's about like, it's like a dance, like the coaching and consulting space. So I feel like that's one. And then also looking at it from many, many different angles. Like there's not, to your point, sometimes the answer is not what we think is going to be. So being able to kind of move on our feet and be able to choose differently depending on 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 what they need specifically and sometimes the, the, the differentiator or the positioning is going to come from you know a personality quality of being sometimes it's going to be from their methodology sometimes it's going to be from the background i'm rebranding someone that does like leadership development and operation like organizational restructuring she's an engineer so we're using her engineering background as part of the differentiator there's not so many engineers that are doing organizational development. Most people come from the communication, the coaching world. Mm -hmm. Like she comes from a very different operational focused background. It's really cool. So we're using that as a differentiation. So being able to be open, I think would be the biggest thing and not assume anything. I think we can assume so many things so easily and as creatives or strategists think that we know the answers, we don't. Like understand that our job is to be researchers. Our job is to listen. Our job is not to like push people to believe something about themselves. It's to completely be open to not knowing the answers and discovering it together with them. Along the way. Well, we've talked a lot about your process. We've talked a lot about um, your background. But what led you to start your own business? When did that become the the next clear step for you after Dr. Smoot was the last official like nine to five you had, right? No, I started the factory after. The factory was a year ah, after Dr. Smooth. Okay. So I, I love Smooth and uh, there was a point that I was like, I cannot sell toilets anymore. I want it to be in jewelry. So I'm going to start applying for jewelry jobs. And I'm like, who in their right mind? So I got actually two offers. One was from an India company. I was so sold. Like I think from 80 people, I made it to the final offer. And I was like, yes. I saw myself flying to India. I have a visa for India for 10 years for a mistake I made like when I went the first time. So I was like, I can go tomorrow if you want. Like, I don't need a visa. I already have it. So, um, so yeah, I, I was there for a year, but then the pandemic started. So I was furloughed. And the funny thing is that I always wanted to be an entrepreneur since I'm this age. I actually used to sell things in school all my life. And I kind of forgot about that. I used to bring toys from Texas and sell it in school. And my mom said, you will lose the money, but you love selling. I used to sell cakes door to door. I was like telling my mom, like, what? She's like, in your little tykes, you convince your, your neighbor to push you. I was five or six. And I was knocking on people's doors, selling them easy bake cakes. Like, I wouldn't have eaten that. I don't know how I was buying them, but they were. So anyway, all of this to say, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. My dad was always an entrepreneur. And I saw him, you know, fail and get up again and do it again. And I'm like, there's so much thrill and excitement in that. But you know, corporate was fun. I was getting paid well. I was having fun what I was doing. I was running really cool brands. So I like wrote that. And I felt like it was God's way of telling me like, you're ready. So when they furloughed me, I'm like, I have to go all in. I joined a mastermind. I joined another mastermind. I had a business mentor and my life coach. And I was like, I need this fire on my butt to make sure I start and do it. Mm -hmm. I offered six of my friends to do the strategy for free. I then started selling it online. The first person to buy it was a complete stranger. 
the toothpaste people to buy it was like we're complete strangers and i'm like strangers are trusting me with their brands like i remember being like oh my god and now i feel very proud like we work with very selective people like we are very careful of who we bring in to work with us i also it started with myself and my you know project my project designer now mariana it's her birthday mm -hmm. today by the way ah, and she's full time mariana. with me yeah she's full time with me we've been together for like two years and some change now and i have a copywriter that's part-time i have like a team of seven we're seven women and it's so freaking cool something that i was not expecting to create was that so yeah that's kind of how it started it kind of was like i got furloughed i'm gonna go all in it was scary i didn't have a plan i didn't have savings i actually had debt so i put the masterminds on my credit card i don't know recommend that to people but i'm very like risk friendly <laughs> i was like i'm gonna do this and, like and i have to make money or i have to make money because there was no other solution for me yeah sink or swim that was it it was you're being pushed out the door to finally use all that experience that you gained um working in corporate to apply towards your business and it's like so clear just hearing your process how your background of curating experiences has kind of translated into the experience that you give your clients when they're discovering their brand um in terms of strategy or you just kind of said you had no strategy but how has it evolved since you <laughs> launched in 2020 till today you know what does that look like in in growing and trying to build your your business up i think the cool thing is that i do have clear of like what kind of stuff i wanted to do and one i i didn't i think i had to unlearn a lot of things like i thought i used to i had to work with hard people because those were the ones that had the money and i had to suck it up like mm -hmm. i'm like no i could work with kind people that are willing to pay me you know there's also people a lot of people that say like don't work with people you know like don't work with friends and family 80 percent of the people that hire me know me <laughs> which is like <laughs> interesting my team part of them are family, part of them are friends of like 15, 20 years. So like I've gone against those rules and it has worked well for me. So I feel like understanding myself was very helpful. Also, uh, I build my business through networking because I am a networker. That's like who I am. And I feel like understanding yourself, like if you're someone that doesn't want to go talk to people and you know, want to just create a ton of content, that's okay. Understand yourself and see what your strengths are. I'm a great connector, Definitely. even like, for things that are not for me. Like, even if I'm not getting anything out of it, I'll connect people because I know they're a, a good connection. So I feel like that has also helped me build the business, like the goodwill of creating that those connections. Um, and now I'm very clear of like, even we're planning for next year now, which is like, I feel very grown up, but we are doing very specific things for very specific people. And I am referring out everything else. And I think that was such a big realization I had that the, the more simplified my business was, the better it went. So when people come like, oh, hey, can you do content marketing? I'm like, no, but I know a great person I'll connect you with. Can you do some video? No, but I have a great person. Let me connect you with them. And in my case, we, what we do, we do naming, which I do personally myself and I love. We do brand strategy. We do visual brand design and we do some collateral pieces for our clients. We don't do work for someone that is not being rebranded by us. So it's very specific. And I work with like two sides of it, like jewelry, fashion, beauty side, and then the other side on hospitality and the other side with like coaches, uh, consultants and service providers. And all of my clients have been in business for around 10 years. Like I have a very clear picture of who my client is and who my client is not. And mm -hmm. I think the minimizing my offers 
and being very focused on, to your point, what I want to be known for. I think I want to be known for someone that understands well the luxury market because that's a background that I had. Like, I feel like there's people, somebody messaged me. I love that you're working on luxury. You inspire me. I'm also going to work on luxury. I'm like, cool. What have you done in luxury? Like nothing, but I'm so inspired. So I'm going to do it starting Mm -hmm. tomorrow. I'm like, got it. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be somewhere. But I think for the longest, I was kind of not sharing of how much experience I have in my background. And I think it's important for people to know that actually I created that. Like the pricing that we have now reflects all the years of experience. Um, So yeah, like owning that luxury brand strategy space and also the mixing, you know, joyful kindness, all of these things that are like part of just who I am and how I operate into this like branding world and luxury world. Let me ask you. Um, first, before I ask you, how much time do you have left here? Do you have another like 20 minutes to spare? Yeah. Okay, cool. I do. Um, for the person listening, some can you give us some like more actionable steps? Like how were you spending the time? What groups were you joining to meet people? Because, I mean, you were starting from scratch as a brand strategist and you had to develop a network, uh, a base to grow with. I do want to preface and say, because we didn't really say or explain who the three um, branding uh Beasts are that you mentioned, Marty Neumeyer, who's like the godfather of branding, uh, Fabian uh, Gerhalter, 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 and then uh, Anneli Hansen, who's also in the future pro group. So if you wanted to give, and by the way, I think you're like a certified under Marty Neumeyer's. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a 75 brand yeah. specialist and 35 brand strategist under Marty. I can always do the brand architect, which is the next level. He only did it once and I was on vacation, so I couldn't do it. So I'm excited to get to that level. Yeah, I, I train under Marty Neumeyer. Um, Anneli is incredible. I appreciate her so much because I love seeing a woman, first of all, that mm-hmm. is doing this and like having that visibility. Now she's more teaching, but she was a strategist for many years. And she comes more from the marketing world. And I always say, like, I feel like a fake designer. I am a designer. I'm a trained designer. I've been designing, but I've worked as a marketer all my life. So it feels funny to me to say, like, I'm a designer because I've been marketing. I have not been designing. So mm. it feels cool to see someone that also has this business background that is creating it. Um, and uh, Fabian, I adore. He's been my mentor for two years. I'm in a small community that he just like pours on us honestly and it's been great to kind of have someone to that sees eye to eye i love how he does brand strategy a lot of my way of doing it comes actually from him because i appreciate his way of doing it and of course for marty i think those were like my biggest two influences but i think the moment i decided i wanted to be the best at this i wanted to sit in the table of those people so go follow fabian his company is called finian they're on Instagram, Anneli is an incredible Anneli Hansen. She's teaching people how to become brand strategists. And then Marty Neumeyer, levelc.org is his website to discover more about this program and how to become a strategist. You're going to see my face in his website at the very top because I was one of the first ones. Um, but I loved it. It's been a really cool journey. And yes, I, I did prepare a lot around it. And I, I also bought some courses that I was like, oh, I already knew all of these things. But it was really cool mm-hmm. to buy it and kind of confirm that I knew it. Mm-hmm. me uh well i always kind of poke at martha because i'm always like how many groups are you in because she's like in, <laughs> she's like in B- bni she's in uh i am the treasurer of bni <laughs> so this morning i was up at 6 a.m like like making sure the presentation was working mm-hmm. i joined the future pro group because i wanted to be close to chris and to other people that were to me really good in their craft and i'm like i want to be learn from the best that is the only creative community i'm part of mm-hmm. um 
all the others are business centric where I'm one of the only brand strategies or one of the, so I joined a community called We Should All Be Millionaires that is mostly geared toward women. Um, it was created by this lawyer turned business coach and there's incredible women in there. Half of my clients come from there because we just get to, you know, create friendship and connection. And when they're ready to brand, they know it's me they want to work with. Yeah. Um, B and I was a huge, I boost too. I joined when I started. Um, I also am part of the Advance, which is a women's networking association. I am part of the Upside, which is a consultant organization. I am part of Provisors, which is like an online expert. It's more than network. I thought. Yeah. More than I yep. Thought. <laughs> I am part of like 10 paid groups. Like I was yesterday telling a friend and she's like, how, and I am very active in most of them. Which how do you balance great. that? How do yeah. you possibly balance being in that many groups? Because it's my way of like building my business. And I mm -hmm. think that's why, like going back to what I said earlier, depends on who you are. Like my fiance sees me and he, I remember my first year of business, I was like, I only had like 150 calls or 180 connection calls this year. He was like, what? You think that's little? I'm like, yeah, that's so little. He's like, what do you want to, like, how many do you want? I'm like, I don't know, more than that, like 160, 180, I don't know how many. Was so little. And, and like, um, he was talking about a training that he had. He's a mental health coach. And they were like, someone was sharing how their client was saying, like, you know, when I go into a room with a lot of people, I don't know, I get a little nervous, like in an event. And the coach was like, you know what? Everyone feels that way. Like, no worries. And Rodney said, in my mind, I was thinking, they haven't met Martha. Martha <laughs> loves being in, in rooms where there's people that she doesn't know. I'm like, yes, I love when they're, I walk into a room and I'm like, a hundred people I can meet. He's like, we have very different approaches to that. <laughs> he arrives in a room and he's like, maybe I'll connect with one or two people today. Like he's very more intentional, more into, into uh, introverted. I'm like, all the people, I want to be friends with everyone. So, uh, I feel like one of my friends from the first group, the Shmili group, was like, Martha, everyone knows you. How did you do it? I'm like, I don't know, because I am also not, you know, constantly posting or sharing things, but mm -hmm. people get to know me and then they adopt me. So it's awesome. Like we get to connect and it's real. And I think that's the coolest part. Like being I've been able to be myself in all the groups and kind of embrace that if I'm not for them, that's also cool. So mm -hmm. I had people tell me, like, you know, having all those brands in your website is a little too much for me. Like I feel like you're not for me because it's a little daunting. I'm like, cool, then I'm not for you. And that's okay. Like I've learned to be okay with that and not make, not take it personal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was that a, was that an issue for you of trying to learn how to, um, essentially not take it personal, essentially, if somebody didn't accept your work or accept, you know, you yeah. yeah, it's hard, especially as a creative, I think you take it, definitely take it personal. But I've learned to completely detach on myself. It was a lot of work. I thankfully work for my coach and my therapist and all of the people around me. But I I think it's really important. The, mo the, the time we spend, like what we create, calling it our precious and elevating it, you know, the harder it is to actually build a business because you're so busy. I, I know a lot of strategists that like meet up every, I don't know, every week or every like twice a week to practice their skills. That's incredible. I'm like, go out there and sell. Try it with people. Take the feedback. The most I've learned is in like the field, getting my hands like wet and in my hands dirty and kind of playing with this concept. And I've done like more than 50 rebrands in two years. And that to me is what has helped me be here because I learn and I do it better and I do it better and I do it better. So I, I think also practicing detachment, it was really hard for me because I am very, like I also have this thing that I want everyone to like me. So 
-hmm. that was really hard that I'm like, people are not going to like me and it's okay. Like it sounds silly, but it was important to me. Then I discovered that because I have ADHD, there's this thing called uh, rejection, sensitivity dysphoria, that we feel rejection so much more than mm -hmm. regular people. And I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. Like I feel it really strongly. And I used to feel like there was something wrong about me. If they're whatever, they didn't like my work or they like me. And now I'm learning that like, no, I'm not for everyone and that's okay. Like same like it works for positioning and brand, same for humans. I'm gonna be too much for a lot of people and that's okay. I'm not their person. There's so many people out there that can help them. Yeah. And I think the moment I kind of accepted that, I started to me growing my business even better. Cause I'm like, there's people out there looking for me. My job is to find them. My job is to go help them. I always tell this to my clients when they're like, I don't know about publishing this. I'm like, you don't know who needs to hear it. You don't know who's like this really looking for what you're offering and they cannot find you. Make it easier for them to find you. That's so healthy to not mm -hmm. internalize um, rejection as a reflection on you, so to speak. I mean, there may be sometimes we're, we're rejected that we have to learn from something we could have done better, but um, 100% that's yeah. something that I think people who create things uh, for a living can relate to. Um, pain points as you've built your business. What have been some like hurdles? Um, that you've had specifically <laughs> i think i think when uh like learning to manage cash flow learning to manage doing marketing while serving clients learning to manage a team like all these little things where like suffering from shiny object syndrome i think we're like told as entrepreneurs like you need this to be successful you need this to be successful so i think my first year i was like oh my god like the fomo of not doing all the things um, and I know I'm in a lot of groups, but I said one thing is a relationships, you know, focus approach. So I think that was hard, like wanting to do all the things at the same time and also wanting to offer, like not wanting to close down my offerings into what I have now was really hard. Um, also, like having low months in business and thinking, this is it. I'm going to be broke, live under a, like a bridge, like <laughs> my brain will go into yeah. overdrive mode. When I hired full time, oh my God, people are depending on me what happens if i cannot sustain this like these people i am gonna harm them it was very emotionally you know i used to tell my friend that she also owns a business i'm like i'm working half the time or less what i did before why does it this feel harder because we're carrying a lot we're wearing a lot of hats so i think it's like getting used to being okay with wearing a lot of hats getting used to knowing that at least for me now is building mode so i know that i'm building for the vision that i want and I'm not gonna be putting all these hours forever. I'm not gonna be, you know, this grinding forever. And also I'm taking care of myself. I feel for the longest, I would throw myself out the window. The first thing that will go would be my, you know, self-care. And now I've learned to know there's a day I don't feel well, I cancel all my things. Yeah. I used to feel so guilty about that. And like, now I'm okay with that. Every month there's a, a week, I don't take any client calls for anything. I don't talk to anyone. And it has been so healthy. So like learning to build those boundaries uh, has been really important. But yeah, I think the biggest was like those low months and being okay with entrepreneurship being up and down. I want to, mm -hmm. I want to stay there. Cause I think that's huge. I've had to deal with that. How do, how do you overcome like a scarcity mindset of like when you're, um, of when you are having a low month and you're like, all right, this is it. Pack things up. It's time to rethink the, the business here how do you I, deal with that and then obviously we've been on the other side where it's like low and then business comes in out of nowhere mm -hmm. you know miraculously but how do you deal with that or just kind of manage those feelings and I have like two more questions and then we're heading into rapid fire 
Oh God. So I think last year it was, I honestly so felt cause it was my very first year fully business January to December. And yeah. it felt like a roller coaster, especially 2020 felt like a freaking roller coaster. Cause I was learning by doing, um, this year, like funny enough, the first time I got that open down was 2020. And I remember I had like an $18,000 month, which back then was crazy. Cause I was making, I don't know, six in my like job life with a really cushy job, you know? But then um, I had like two zero K months and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to implode. This was, it was all luck and it was so hard on myself. Um, and I remember being super emotional. My, my fiance, like such a support system because I was like, oh my God, this is too hard. Maybe I should go back to corporate. You know, I had all these doubts. I was like perusing LinkedIn from time to time. Like maybe it's time to go back. Maybe I was not mm -hmm. cut for this. And then this year I had a worse fall. Like I went from, you know, having paid myself consistently, build a business, turn into a Nest Corp. Like I was like, I'm the top of the world. You're bringing like 50K months, yes. And then 2Ks and, and 2K and I was like, oh my, and I had just invested a ton in my business too. Mm -hmm. So that was a very scary moment where I'm like, I'm in, I invested a lot, three projects canceled, two got pushed. And I'm like, oh my God, this is not happening. <laughs> but mm -hmm. funny enough, there was no drama. It was more flat because I think I like prepared myself that that, that could happen. Yeah. And also again, like having a support system, like going with my coach and talking about it, going with my friends. I have like business besties, like you and Mario are one of my support systems. But I have two other really good friends that are both in business and we have this group chat. We talk to each other every week, three times. Like we always send boy messages. So this is happening and I need support in this. Like it's so cool to have that. Someone also that understands what having a business looks like has been super helpful. So yeah, I think really honestly asking for help, which is something I hated all my life and I'm mm -hmm. learning to embrace because I know that you can build this business alone. Yes. And you also get to business, help build it with the help of others, right? Like mm -hmm. no man is an island. And I think embracing that, that yes, I hustled my way to what I am and it got me so many cool things like all those shiny cool jobs and a nice salary and a good life and fun adventures. The next level requires me to ask for help, to ask for support. And I think that's what I recommend others. Like what support systems are you building to not do this yourself? Because doing it yourself is not sustainable. And yes, it could be team members like I have, but also it could be friends, peers, coaches, therapists, like people that are there to hear you out and support you when you're down. And like understanding that business is like that, like it's ups and downs. And yes, hopefully we'll get more stable with time. As we go, yeah. Yeah. Yeah but those things happen and you have to be okay that you're actually that's the, the risk of being a business owner right so like if you want to grow as a person become a business owner because life is going to throw you so many curveballs and you get to kind of learn through living through them it feels like such a short period of time you grow so much and like in managing a business you know because for you i mean i've known you for probably over a year and a half now but um you've learned so much in two years. And I, I mean, I launched my business the year, the year before yours, like full-time. And it's just like, you just grow so much more. Like I've been, I worked at a full-time, you know, like nine to five and for longer than I've been in business full-time. And I feel like I've learned 10 years worth more of experience in the, in the shorter yeah. period of time than, than what I did working under somebody else. And don't get me wrong. All of our clients are our bosses at the end of the day. That's like the misconception when, when you run your business, it's like, Oh, you don't have any bosses. You can do what you want to do. Yeah, technically, like if I have a free agenda day, like I am dictating exactly what I'm doing. There's nobody telling me what to do and I can suffer or succeed from 
what my decisions are on that day. But we have way more bosses than somebody working at a um, at a corporate job would have because literally our clients, the reps you have to deal with there, like you have a lot of reports to um, to deal with. But um, with that being said, because it's always on our mind, how do you balance being a full time business owner, being in like a million pro groups like you just listed off there <laughs> and making sure your relationships and friendships don't suffer? Obviously, you're doing all right. You're going to be getting married next spring. Congrats. And, uh, yeah. Thank you. Congrats. Uh, so how do you manage that time? And then we're going to talk about your vision for the future of your company. And then we're going to really get into your thoughts with the last I have a question. Uh, and I know you said it earlier. I think that was also my perspective. And I've been shifting, shifting my perspective about like having many bosses to I'm an expert and we're in partnership. Mm -hmm. and that has completely changed so just so you know this used to be to me crazy my coach invited me to create my ideal schedule four years ago and i said catherine i cannot do that i work full-time you know and then after i was like catherine i cannot do that i have all these clients i have to work at all times now i only take clients tuesdays and thursdays i take sales calls mondays sometimes i think i have a block of one hour tuesdays and thursdays for them and i do not talk to clients on Fridays or Mondays and I don't take calls. Wednesdays is my day where I get uh, like therapy, coaching, all these other things. Um, so I built the business around my life, which I thought it was impossible, like honestly, because I'm like, you, yeah, I'm like, I need to get things on, we're moving. I'm not saying that I do not work on Mondays or Fridays, I do, but I put some boundaries and limits on when I can talk to people. And I am open and available for when they need to talk to me but also through those, you know, boundaries, which to me used to be almost impossible. Mm -hmm. um, also practicing being like not attached to my phone, which is hard to me. So I find that if I'm gonna have lunch and dinner or breakfast with my fiance, we do not have phones in that space. Like we mm -hmm. completely disconnect. We make it a priority to have dates. We I made a priority to spend time with my friends. Um, I travel a lot to see my family. And they know that while I'm there, I'm working maybe three or five days, I'm with them and they're fine with that. And then the evenings I'm with them. So I'm very purposeful in actually spending quality time. And I always say this, I I am very friendly with people, but my really close friends, I can count them with my hands and I I call them my tiny circle. And it's also a great reminder for me with what we were saying yesterday, earlier about um, rejection. Like I remind myself that all I need is my tiny circle. That's, that's a big care that they love me, that they support me. I don't care about anyone else. So, I mean, no harm to anyone, but like, I'm, I, I, I know. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I, I do care. I care they're okay. And I feel like that perspective has helped me to be focused on like serving my clients, taking care of my business, taking care of my team, and also being present. And something that I started doing too is getting support to at home. Like, we used to, I used to cook every day. I used to not cook before the pandemic, by the way. I didn't know how to. You're not a <laughs> because I was in corporate all the time. Yeah. I was like barely, yeah. you know, arriving home and like start like ordering something. So I never cooked. I learned that I can cook amazingly during the pandemic. And I was making food for us every day. So now I've been we've been using the service that delivers meals that okay. we just put in the oven. And they're healthy meals and they're delicious. And just removing the lunch, like I, I still cook dinner, but removing the lunch aspect of it has been so amazing. Like how can I get supported? So I feel like that, like getting support where I can 
Um, I have a wedding planner because I didn't have the time to organize my wedding by myself. Like my mm -hmm. aunts were like, oh, we all plan our own weddings. And my mom was like, yeah, Martha owns a company. Like she cannot, you know, so getting supported where I, I can, Rodney and me, I feel like we have this really cool partnership where we can talk about a lot of things, everything and anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. And also for him to understand that this is how I'm wired. I am way more ambitious than him. I am way more like bold. I am way louder. And I feel like, especially growing Mexico, you know, that was not okay <laughs> in Mexico. Um, I used to have one of my best guy friends was like, you need to stop studying so much. Like you're going to scare away all the guys because you are too accomplished for. And Rodney is my biggest cheerleader. He totally wants me to shine. And having that partnership at home has been so supportive. And it also invites me to, this is one of my favorite things. The day I kind of started putting more boundaries of like, I need to stop working and go hang out with him or do something for myself was when I was like, I'm doing it for him. And then I started to do it for me, like to have some more time off, you know? Yeah. But I I think I I started by doing it for him because it was easier because I love him. Yeah. And then I started doing it for me. So uh, the business is always going to be here. And of course, there's always going to be things to do just setting clear boundaries for myself. And I started working out with a personal trainer, like taking care of myself because in a way, like the business exists here. So I need to take care of this machine. As my dad tells me, you make money with your head, not with your hands. So that's, that's how you, you got to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Where do you see your company in 10 years? What is the vision for the future? This is my favorite question because um, my number one strength finder strength is called futuristic. I live mm. in the future. Like I could taste mm. it. And it's really hard for me to be in the present, as you can see. So <laughs> I I want to become a speaker. That's something that there I say I like more than branding. Mm -hmm. um, so I am starting. I was invited to a panel recently at a Javits Center here in New York speaking about like luxury and branding and the future. Is really cool. So I see a lot more speaking. I see a I see a lot less clients even that I'm doing now, and also very meaningful work. And having a team that comes, like I come in as an expert, and having a team that comes that kind of sets the stage, gathers all the information, and kind of swarms with me as like just overviewing the process. I see myself being as the like the go-to expert in luxury brand strategy. And impacting even beyond luxury. I see my method being a method that is recognized and go-to for people. Like I have very big ambitious goals, but I want my method to be something that people learn. I would love to bring this to Latin America. I feel like Mexico is behind how they do brands. A lot of the brands are defined by the agencies, not because it's the agency's fault. I feel like a lot of brands are not owning the responsibility of building the brand. They're like, okay, agency create something, tell me what to do. So I would love to go and train the creatives of strategies in Mexico and how to build brands this way. Um, yeah, I think there's so many opportunities. And also I would love my jewelry brand, like to have an actual beautiful brand that I get love to spend it. my time between. Love it. Nice. Love it. All right. Casting a vision. Zach, do you have anything to say before I bring in the rapid fire? I think we've touched on the big ones that I had at the moment. Yeah, let's 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 go to the rapid fire. Okay. If this is your first time listening to this incredible business show, we have a rapid fire segment that I have almost completely stolen 
question for question from one of my favorite shows growing up called Inside the Actor Studio. But for the purposes of this show, we'll call it Inside the Bu Business Studio. Uh, these questions are just rapid fire, 10 questions. Uh, first thing that pops in your mind. And um, I mean, you have time to think about it. It's not like you got to bounce them off. So <clears throat> let's get into the first one. What is your favorite word? My favorite word, I would say possibility. What is your least favorite word? Complaining. <laughs> what gets you going? I think um, doing work I love and bringing joy to others. What puts you off? Um, greed or doing things superficially. What sound or noise do you love? Ooh, what sound or noise? I would say birds or laughter, like loud laughter. Love it. What sound or noise do you hate? Oh my God, the cars that are like speeding to- Are you in New York? The, I <laughs> really? Think, oh, no, 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 but this like sports cars are like, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, cars. Yeah, yeah. I think they're so cool. I'm like, I don't know if they expect all of the women to be like, oh my God, that's exactly like, is the most annoying thing that are motorcycles. I hate that so much. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Speaker for sure. Um, actor, and, like theater. I love theater so much. And uh, stand-up comedy. I think I would love hey, that. I like it. <laughs> what profession would you not like to do? Accounting, anything repeating, anything operational, just because like, you know, like uh, logistics, I feel like I, I Rodney used to be a uh, a travel administrator for like high-end peeps. And I told them he, they will be stranded in an island if that was my job. So nothing <laughs> logistical, like I will leave them in the island forever. I'll forget. What is a bit of advice or wisdom you wish you knew before starting your own company? Trust yourself and make mistakes. And last, what do you want your obituary to say about you? Oh my God. She loved others. She brought so much joy to people and she truly loved every moment of her life. And flour tortillas from Monterrey. And flour tortillas from Monterrey. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, I hope you had a good time. It was a pleasure Absolutely. on my end here. Uh, We'll definitely have you again on in the future. I definitely would like to do like top, you know, Zach actually brought up a good idea to do like topic based shows down mm -hmm. the line um, once we're further out on this thing. But okay. um, thank you for joining. I want to give you a moment now. The floor is yours. Plug anything and everything of how the audience can find you, how to connect with you, how to do business with you. Sure. Thank you for having me. Um, they can find me on Instagram as Martha Christina. So Martha with an H, Christina with no H. They also can find me on Facebook, Martha Cristina Garza. I'm very available there. Um, my website is MarthaGarza.com, Martha with an H. And currently we are rebranding, so there's a coming soon page there that they can reach out, they can DM. I'm really available and I do workshops often and I do course work one-on-one -on -one mostly. But if you wanna learn more of how I brand, I chat about it a lot on my social media. Love it. Thank you so much again, Zach. I'll leave the outro to you. Awesome. 
Well, thank you so much for for joining us. And thank you for listening to the Soapbox Business Show. You can find this podcast anywhere you find podcasts, Apple, Google, and Spotify podcasts. We're also on YouTube. And you can take a look at our website at soapbox.house, where you'll find links to this show and a bunch of other shows on the network. Perfect. Thank you again. And everybody, let's get to work.